0: Welcome to the Kingdom Life Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jamie Dixon. For more great content, visit klcmain.com um, I'm going to be uh, in Hebrews 11 one and then second Peter chapter first Peter chapter two. Um, I want to lay something out. It's going to be familiar for some of you. It's going to be new for some of you. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is a substance of things that we hope for, the evidence of things that we do not see. And by it, the elders obtained a good inheritance. Okay, uh, we need to understand this. One of the greatest mistakes that we've ever made in all of Christian theology is that we have taught new believers and old believers that faith is believing. And I want to present to you that faith is not believing. Faith is doing something about what you believe. It says that faith is the substance, measurable, actionable response to what we hope for, and it's the evidence of things that we do not see. Um, Hope, I know in the world that we live in, that hope is a positive outlook on life. It is a personality thing. Um, For some of you, hopeful people is a personality disorder. It's um, some of you want that realistic, like this is actually how it is. And someone comes along and they have all this hope. And you're like, you have issues, man. This is not realistic, right? How many of us know though? in the world, even in Webster's Dictionary, it will, it will tell you, hope is a positive outlook on life, right? But then I, I literally read one time that the, um, the sentence underneath hope was, um, the sentence underneath it said, uh, uh, they all, we all hoped they survived the crash but we, we don't know. And so the world looks at hope as a positive outlook, but in scripture, the hope that we're talking about is not a positive outlook on life, it's actually a conclusion that we've come to concerning the nature and the ability of God. It says in Romans 4, 18, 19, it says, all, it says that, without, um, against all hope, Abraham had hope, and in so doing, he became the father of many nations. And it says that he did not waver in unbelief because of the deadness of his wife's womb or his old age, but he was persuaded, everyone say persuaded, that God was able to do what he said he was going to do which means that he did not just have hope because he's just like, cross my fingers, knock on wood, God's gonna hopefully do this. What, he was, what, he was, what happened was is he entered his, he entered his, um, his, his uh, unbelief into the competition with truth. And truth wrestled with his unbelief and truth won. And he came out with hope, with expectation that God is who he says that he is and he will perform the word that he promised. He is who he says he is and he had hope. How many of you know hope is actually a conclusion and a place of belief that our faith attaches to. Faith is a substance of things that we hope for, the evidence of things that we do not see. So when we actually carve out a place in a realm of, of belief and understanding about the nature of God, we will live a way in the reflection to what we believe. Our faith is the lifestyle that we live in response to what we've built up in our place of belief and it will become the evidence of a place that's unseen. So I will tell the world, God is real. And they'll say, I'm not so sure about that. And I'll say, let me demonstrate it to you. And they'll, I'll say, bring me the sick. And it will bring the sick. And I know that there is healing in heaven. And so I will reach into the unseen realm that I believe is very real. And my hope will reach in. My belief and my understanding will reach in. And my faith will pull it out and demonstrate. It, it will become evidence to the message that I'm preaching. Does this make sense? Yeah. The, the demonstration of what God has done in your life is, uh, uh, is the, the evidence of the unseen world that we are living, believing, and preaching. So, so here, here's the thing I want to say of that. I lay all that to say, phases uh, some of the I hope for. I believe that we are in such a profound moment with the Lord right now, and that we are a, in a day and an hour I need you to understand. like, turn to your neighbor and say, "You were made for such a time as this." You are not an accident. You are not a coincidence. Where you are sitting is not an accident or coincidence. What God is doing is not just happening outside of you and beyond you. That we are in a sovereign moment in history and that God is, is um, elevating his church to a place of authority that we are unfamiliar with. I believe that we are in an ever increasing faith um, kind of church. Not just this one. I mean, just what God is doing Uh, in the earth is an ever-increasing thing, and um, and, and here's what we need to understand. If God is bringing his church to a new place, the reason why I get so jacked up about healings and miracles, I'm not going to be coy with you guys. I believe that healing is the children's bread. I believe that healing is the children's bread, and I believe that if we ask him for bread, he will not give us a stone. God, heal me. He's not going to give you cancer as a lesson, He's not, an, he's not an ungodly father. He is godliness personified. He's a good father. And if you ask the father for bread, he will not give you a stone. I believe that healing and the prophetic are not just once in a lifetime moments. I believe they are daily inheritance of the spirit-filled believer and they are bread that we get to eat on every single day. They're not to be fanaticized. They're not to be romanticized. They're not to be glorified. They're not for the purpose of building the, the um, altar for any man. It's all for the glory of the Lord, but it's for our daily feasting on him. It's for experiencing the goodness of God every single day of your life. And it will be a demonstration that will lead the Lord, or will lead the world to the Lord. It will become the demonstration of the power of the gospel. He he did not tell the disciples to do it any other way. He said, go, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons and preach the kingdom is right here, right now. It's not just the one coming. It's right here, right now. I say all that to say, I'm just... Obviously excited. I say all that to say that if God is going to increase the faith of his church, he's going to begin with their beliefs. Because faith is a response to belief. Every belief that we've created that are out of alignment with his truth and with who he is, he will confront for the purpose of expanding the capacity for our faith. Um, Go with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. I did this in the first service. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 4. Now, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Hey, that's a good word over your life. Come on, he's building you up as a dwelling place. Now you, he's not just calling you a friend of God. He's calling you a priest, which means you have an assignment and purpose to represent humanity before the Lord and to, and to beckon God to come to humanity for the sake of the world, right? He's, offering, he's calling you uh, to be a spiritual house and, a, and a, a holy priesthood. Verse six, therefore, it is contained in the scriptures. It says, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame therefore to you who believe he is precious but to those who are disobedient the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense they stumble because of being disobedient to the word to which they also were destined here's the thing is that Jesus purchased the fullness of the kingdom for you to experience and taste and see now. Everyone say now. now. So he entrusted you with the word of the new covenant, the word himself, the word made flesh, God and the glory of God revealed to the person in Jesus. He entrusted you with the word because you were destined for the fullness. You are destined to receive the full inheritance of the reward of of what he accomplished. You are destined for, um, you are not destined to struggle with sin your whole life. You are destined for liberty and freedom. You are not destined to wrestle with depression as your lot in life. You were destined for liberty and freedom. Your inheritance is the full reward, not just... uh, a God who's going to tease you with a reward to come, but that you would experience it now in the land of the living. This is your inheritance. And And this is what he says. Because I entrusted you with the word of fullness, if you don't actually guard the word of fullness, that which was the chief cornerstone will now become a rock of offense because you have not stewarded the entrusted word well. And so I'm about to offend everything inside of you to align your beliefs to truth. We've heard, we've heard the saying, um, I, he, he says God will offend the mind to reveal the heart. And he said Jesus was an offense. He said Jesus was an offense even after he was uh, resurrected and they've experienced the power and God's coming on the Jews. And then the white cloth vision And Peter gets called to the house of Cornelius. And he goes, I'm in the house of a Gentile. I don't know if this is allowed. Guys, the gospel's been preached and power's been demonstrated for a long time. And then all of a sudden, Jesus goes, you think this is just for you? You? okay? get ready. I'm about to reveal the full mystery. I entrusted this word to you. You're not doing a good job, Peter. Come with me, because what I call clean, you don't call unclean. Let me demonstrate something to you. And brings him to the house of Cornelius, has him preached the gospel to a people that he thought was not Allowed to preach to, and he preaches, and the house was shaken. The glory falls, and people get filled with the Holy Spirit that weren't allowed in his mind to get allowed to have the Holy Spirit. And Jesus becomes a rock of offense to a limitation in the mind of Peter. Ooh, baby, Jesus says, "I'm gonna, I'm going to offend everything inside of you because you're only tasting a part of this." Are you hearing me? If God is going to give the church greater authority, he has to expand our faith for more and he will expand our faith by increasing the capacity of our belief. How many of you guys know the enemy is fully aware of the call of God on your life? He is fully aware, way more than you are who you are. The crazy thing is, is that the the most dangerous thing about the devil and about the demonic is that They see you for who you really are, which gives them an assignment to convince you that you are not who they see. And the enemy is so fully aware of the call of God on your life that he will, over the course of time, attempt to wound you in the arena that you've been called to have authority in. He will wound you in the arena that you've been called to have authority in because if he can wound you, then he could potentially keep you from ever going back to the place where you're supposed to have authority and breakthrough in. <clears throat> He'll do it, won't he? Some people get wounded by the church, but they're actually called to like, lead the church. They're actually called to impact the church. They're called to be a gift to the church. They're called to receive from the church. They'll get wounded by the church. And so the enemy will, will create this narrative of hurt and pain that will become an excuse to never go back to the place where they have a reward in. Because the enemy will use hurt and pain to create a facade of intimidation, a wall of resistance so that we will never go back to it and complete, feel completely val- validated in it. The pain causes us to build fortified walls to protect ourselves from future pain. So out of fear and pain, we'll create beliefs about God that limit our beliefs. How many of you guys would say that God could do anything? You guys are all like nervous, like you're leading me somewhere. I don't, I don't even want to respond right now. How many of you guys would say that God could do anything? Like really, right? You say that, right? How, how many of you guys are looking for God to do anything? Okay. I find it very interesting, though, how many, times, um, how many times God does something, though, that is outside of our box of expectation. And when God does something that we aren't familiar with or don't like or don't believe that he would ever do, that we would actually be more ready to defend that it probably wasn't God than it, we are to be willing to be confronted that we weren't open to God doing that. I know that we really believe in, in order, right? What God does should be in order. I can't find it in the Bible, I just can't. That was created because something got out of order, and maybe it wasn't God, and it got out of order, and so we go, everything God does should be in order, and we create a belief out of a pain yeah. or of a regret. Yeah. And so we go, everything should be out in order. And how many of you guys know that sometimes maybe God will do something completely out of order just to mess you up? Because he goes, I will not live in the box that you've constructed for me. I just won't do it. Right? And we go, God, you can do anything. And he does something. And we go, well, I don't know if that was really him. Right? Maybe everything should be in order. And Jamie's giving a really good message one Sunday. And everyone's getting so much out of it. And then maybe somebody in the room has depression, anxiety, and suicide that they've been struggling with every day of their life. And as I'm preaching, and everyone's in good order, taking notes, as I'm preaching this like, very safe message, this one isn't safe at all, but I'm preaching <laughs> this really good message, makes everyone feel great, and somebody starts laughing uncontrollably in the room, and it takes all the attention away from what I'm teaching, and it falls on them, and everyone goes, well, that's just not in order, is it? It's just not in order. It's not allowed. Can't be God, because it doesn't fit. The order. And what you don't know is maybe suicide, (laughs) depression, anxiety was being busted off of that person. And the most important thing happening in the room is what God chose to do outside of your box. Listen, I'm not trying to stoke, hey, let's let these moments happen all the time. I'm just saying, are you actually looking for God to do anything? Or is it God can do anything as long as it fits the narrative that I've created for him to do it in? Are you hearing me? I look at even like what's going on in Iran right now, you know, and um, I, I, look at, uh, I look at what's happening in Iran and I see one of the most oppressive regions in the world, historically ever over, over women, right? Just absolutely, I mean, women are being persecuted and murdered in the streets, hung on street corners right now. But did you know that Iran is the fastest growing church in the history of the world? The underground church is just exploding right now. Do you know who the primary senior leaders of the underground persecuted church are right now? Women. Is there a chance? God, I don't I don't know about that. I don't I don't. You know, I don't know. I think maybe I think maybe that whole movement is completely fake because it doesn't fit my narrative. Is there any possibility that God is a, that Jesus is a stumbling block and a rock of offense? And he is actually doing something that's countercultural to the entire enslavement of a gender in a region. And so he's saying, watch what I'll do. Not only will I lead them to Jesus, but I will use the people that you persecuted to lead it. Is there a chance? The Bible says that um, God, that, that says, uh, to Cyrus, whose right hand I've held, an evil, horrible man, God says, I held your hand and used you to deliver Israel. Okay. Is there any chance that God would still hold the hands of evil men to deliver the church? But what if their life doesn't align to what you think it's supposed to look like? God only anoints the righteous. Okay. But if you use Cyrus, what if he uses the person you didn't vote for? Are you guys guys hearing me? I'm, I'm not saying don't vote for the biblical values and don't vote this way. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that. Are you ready to celebrate what God does, even if it offends your preconceived idea of how he's going to do it? Okay. I told you you'd get mad at me I love you, but I just love God more and I wanna see him move in the way he wants to. I think that we have to be really comfortable inviting the ministry of God's offense into our lives because the ministry of God's offense uh, offense into our lives is a tool of deliverance from self-imposed religion and the entirety of the freedom that Jesus purchased. God wants to deliver you from the, the prisons that we've created and our own beliefs and our own minds. And uh, I got a two-point sermon, not a three-point, not a four-point, I got a two-point sermon. You guys ready? Um, I wanna just share two really quick tools on how I I believe um, that what God, how, how we can host the ministry of offense I know that Patricia King was just here and saying we gotta get out of offense, but I I don't want offense out of my soulless nature, but I do want the Jesus as the offense attacking every belief in me that's not aligned to truth and to who he is, that's not looking for him to do it. And I don't wanna miss him. When he comes, how many of you guys know Israel wasn't looking for Jesus when he came? They were looking for a beautiful man they were looking for someone with a sword on their thigh who, who preached violence towards uh, governments. And Jesus didn't come as a violent leader of armies. He came as a laid down lover who offered his life willingly, was spat on. He, he didn't live with a golden spoon in his mouth. He lived with a crown of thorns on his head. His, his throne was not made of gold. It was made... It, it, was, it was made of, of the worship and the prayer of nations. It was, it was a wooden cross. His robe was not made of scarlet. It was made of his own flesh and blood. He did not come the way they wanted him to come, and he became a rock of offense in that moment. Everybody loves God. Nobody loves Jesus. Sam's Club right now will put all the gods in Sam's Club. Buy all the gods. Get all the statues. Here's Buddha. Have them all. But you do not let Jesus, because Jesus is a singular uh, person of truth. And he is divisive in all of his ways. And if you want Jesus in your life and you really want the ministry of Jesus in your life, he's not coming to coddle your unbelief. He's coming to divide your unbelief and truth. He will be the offender of your mind and your heart. And we've got to invite his ministry into our lives. Are we okay? All right. Smiling. There's two two things I think, you know, as I prayed and prayed and prayed, I didn't, I didn't feel three things. I didn't feel four things. I just felt two things. And number one, it's the most important thing is that we have to invite, we have to daily feast and invite the word of God to be effective and powerful in our lives every single day. In, in, in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God that is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between soul and spirit. How many, I, I know that we read this for direction. How many of us read this for direction? Right? How many of you guys read this for comfort? Have you ever read it to be wounded? <laughs> Maybe you weren't reading for it, but it did. Has anybody ever been wounded by the word of God? Yes. Come on, has it, has it put a limp in your step, like ever in your life, where you're just like, I am, I am doing this right. I am holding my ground. And you read the word of God, about, like forgiveness, and you go, oh no. Right? It. How many of us you know the, the word of God is sharper than two as a sword? divides between soul and spirit. Um, when, when I'm in the word, my heart is accountable to truth. But when I neglect the word, I give place for my soul to, be, to um, recreate the narrative of truth. Uh, the reality is, is that many, many of the deconstruction uh, movement right now is led by a lot of people that are not, um, they're not reading the word. They are interpreting the word from their experience. Yeah. They're not submitting their heart to the instruction of the Holy Spirit. They're, what they're saying is I have feeling experiences in life and how does the word of God align to how I feel? I remember when Rob Bell came out with that, that demonic book, um, Love Wins, and literally the back of the book, he was, he was literally tossing out the idea that potentially, possibly, that there is no hell and that, and that we all get to heaven, and that there's no punishment, and that there's no suffering, and that there's no pain, there's no nothing. And his, 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 his entire idea and theology was entirely based on the simple thought of, God is love and forgives us, and He loves us very deeply, but He punishes us for our sins at the end of life if we don't receive Him. That can't be a God of love. Now listen, I understand wrestling over that concept, but to actually then to take a offense in my life against hell and then interpret the scriptures and look for a way out of it becomes a soulless response to the scriptures. where well, the scriptures are not defining us, we are defining it. Many of these conversations come out like, well, what do you think and how do you feel and what's going on here? And I don't know. My experience, I was once in a church and this happened and not from the literal word of God piercing your heart and saying, I know you feel this way, but submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the truth in your life. Right? How many marriages would be saved if they would just submit to the word of God? Are we all right? Jesus um, said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Um, and uh, G- it says that in Luke 12, Jesus said, I did not come with peace, I came with a sword. <laughs> he said, I didn't come to just unite, I came to divide. Entire families are gonna divide over me. And it's, that, is, that is literally my ministry. How do you guys know if families will divide and that's not his desire, but it will be his ministry because what he's inviting us to is a partner with truth at all costs, at all costs to partner with truth at all times. And you know, you know, one of the things we have to understand, though, about truth, this is super fun, is that you know, we've often, said, we've often like, quoted truth as in a restriction. Truth says, that's a sin. And truth says, that's a sin. And truth says, don't do that. Truth has less to do with restrictions and a lot more about liberties and freedoms. Tr- tr- truth isn't just going, hey, you're in a sinful lifestyle. The Bible says you're in a sinful lifestyle. What truth actually does, it says, hey, you're a son of God, and you've been called to so much more. You guys hear that? Truth has so much more to do with who you are that quenches the appetite for sin because all of our sinful desires are connected to our lie of lack. And so God will speak to the abundance of who you are so that you lose an appetite for the lack. Am I saying things too crazy and wild and out there? Are you guys with me? Okay. Okay. and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What we have to understand is that like, truth is actually leading us into greater liberty, not more restrictions. And this is why the word of God will bring us into broader pastures of God's ability, not smaller places of God's ability. When, when we start using the word of God to say, God can't, we have just illegally used the word of God. It went from truth, and it just became carnal belief and opinion. The, Bi- the Bible does not lead us into God can't. It leads us into God will, right? And because, because truth is always leading us into freedom, into liberty, it's not leading us into restrictions and compromise. I'm not validating sin. I'm saying that truth will lead you into the identity that has no appetite for sin. We will read the Bible and come up with an opinion that God will not pour out His Holy Spirit on transgendered people. We'll say, God can't. And I will say, oh no, He will. Because He's about to shock the world with how He moves in the LGBTQ and transgendered movement. And it's going to offend your mind, it's just going to blow you up. What do we do with this? Because God is better than we deserve, and He will do things that will live outside of our box. Are you guys hearing me? Yeah. Okay. Here, here's the second thing. To host, to host the, the ministry of offense, the stumbling block, he's, he, we need to feast on the word daily. But secondly is this, is that we need to stay in challenging environments. Um, go with me to Hebrews ten twenty-four. <clears throat> Last verse and I'm done. You guys all right? Yeah. Hebrews 10, 24. It says, let us consider one another in order to stir up. Everyone say stir up. stir up. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is in the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day, the coming of the Lord, approaching. Um here, here's the truth: is, is that unity without diversity is conformity. Unity without diversity is conformity. Um when we create clans that have similar beliefs, you know, I think one of the things that happens is that God can move on people and can and move on situations. I've been in this 18 years of ministry now. I've been in this countless situations. God does something and people get offended every time. You wouldn't believe the private meetings that I have going, I, I am uncomfortable with that. Um, I, I've been in meetings where God healed somebody and people came to me in concern afterwards saying, did you know that there's sin in their life? Uh huh. Right, and if we're gonna celebrate the miracle just took place on their life, then we need to address the <laughs> sin, or that, that miracle miracle like doesn't it is not it, it it was a mistake. It was wrong because we we're not addressing the sin because it's the highest values to remove that from their life. Not even recognizing that God might have healed the sick, healed their sickness in order to draw them out of the sin, woo their heart to love. And recognizing what he might have been doing in that moment, right? Um, God approved. He healed the sick. It's God approved. Um, But the problem is, is every time I've seen God move, I have seen division kind of come on a a people. And because of the rock of offense that is stirring something in them. And, um, but the problem is, is that um, many times uh, the very thing that's caused many churches to divide, we have 40,000 denominations of Christianity in the world. The very thing that's caused us to divide and to clan up, right? My clan, your clan, this clan, that clan, based all around our beliefs, is this divisive thing that just says, I can't coexist with people that don't agree, that don't believe, that don't think like me, so I'm going to go get with the birds of a feather. The problem is, is that when we clan up with people of similar beliefs, we create echo chambers, and we will never become challenged to think outside of the box that we all agree should exist. And in, in, uh, in Hebrews ten twenty four, it says, let us stir one another up for love and good works. You know, that, you know, that really sounds to me like, brother, you're doing a good job. Keep going. It, it, that feels good, right? Oh, man, Brian, you're doing such a good job. Keep the fire burning, man. Do you know that's not what that means at all? That doesn't mean that at all. We think this is a shoulder rub. This is not a shoulder rub. This word is, comes from the Greek, it's paroximous. You know what that word means? To give each other sharp jabs and irritations, to cause violent disagreements among people. Oh man, you don't like that church. That's the thing that makes you leave the church. We disagree, we're not coming to the same point. You irritate me how you do this differently than how I would do it, I'm out. What's that? The an agitator, like in your washing machine. This is the very thing that's actually caused many people to split, leave churches, all that kind of stuff, is the very thing that he's called us to do all the more together until the day of the Lord. Why? Because he's saying, I want you to stir each other up. I don't want you to stay where you are. Invite irritants into your life. Invite people that rub you the wrong way. Diversity or unity without diversity is conformity. Actually get around people that like believe differently and think differently than you. Like I I love adding in some people that think entirely different. You should see some of our staff meetings, man. In some of our elders meetings, these moments happens where, where I'm being confronted and challenged. And that could be a thing like, get off my team. Get off my staff. I need you to agree with me. We're not building echo chambers. We need the irritants of each other to say, there's so much more than you could ever think or imagine. The moment that I'm coming under, like the anxiety and the worry, of, I don't know how this is going to go or how that's going to go or how this is going to happen or that's going to happen. I need someone to come and say, God is bigger than the box that you've built, Jamie. I, I know that's a version of community that would make most, you know, people uncomfortable, but it's the level of community that produces a unified, on fire church that's truly walking and continued liberty. The reality is, is that many of us are kind of point where like I don't know, but I do know that like you have made me more on fire for Jesus by challenging how I first believed. Do you guys get what I'm saying? <clears throat> we we have to stay in challenging environments. You know, I, I, I think one of the sad things is after the elections is that a lot of Democrats left the church. Not this church, like the church. <laughs> Can I tell you, I think that's one of the saddest things that's ever happened. I think that, you know, we, we um, just like we should be sad when babies are aborted and we'll never get to experience their life. When Christians are aborted because of politics, we should be sad because we're missing their voice in the coming days, and who they are. I'm not saying that we need to be one way or another, but when we lose people of diverse thought, we lose the flavors of heaven. We lose the complexity of what God wants to do. I am not saying that I'm for one thing and not another thing, or this is how you should vote. Don't hear what I'm not saying. What I am saying is is that we need to stay in environments that are challenging. We need to dig our heels in and fight for some kind of level of unity around a thought or an idea because God is bigger than we could ever imagine. He wants to offend all the constructs that we've built so that we have a broader understanding and belief and faith that God's going to do things that we cannot even understand and control or get our hands on. I remember, um, I'll end with this, I, I remember when um, uh, like one of our first years in Salem, we would bring teams down to Salem, Massachusetts, and, and Halloween, and um, and I remember when we were first trying to get like churches to host us, we'd call around and be like, "Hey, we want to come and bring God to Salem," and I was like, "Could you have people that could help host us? Do you have a, Do you have people that would want to go in the streets with us?" And they go, "Oh, no, no, no! All of our people leave the city at Halloween." And I would say, why? Why don't you guys do something? Say, we don't do, as a church, we don't do anything in Halloween. And I'd say, why don't you do anything? This is the greatest opportunity. You got hundreds of thousands of people coming to your city. Why wouldn't you be preaching the gospel? And they would say, to participate on this night of Halloween is to celebrate evil. Oh, I was like, you're not, I'm not asking you to go like play tarot cards. Like, like go preach the gospel. Bring light to dark places, right? And we couldn't find anybody. We found like one little church. They didn't have anybody to sell in the streets, but they had a building. And, and so we rushed in, and there's no Christians to be found. The church is far and absent, you know. And, and uh, we get in the city and we do worship and we do prayer for 60 hours and we hit the streets and, um, and we, we get out there. That one of the first people I pray for is a girl with a deaf ear. And uh, I didn't even know if I had the full faith, but I did know that God said that he was gonna heal all who were sick and oppressed with demons. So I laid my hand on her ear and boom, her ear pops open on the streets of Salem, the first, like the first person I prayed for. Um, and, and her deaf ear opens and she's weeping, crying, calls her mom saying, mom, 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 I can hear you. I'm on my deaf ear. And God completely opens her ear and she can hear, right? That night, a few, a few other, a few other um, guys come along, and these guys have like Slipknot shirts. They look all metal. They got like, they got like, uh, you know, like dog collars on. And they're super intense. They go, "You guys Christians," and they're like making fun of us and mocking us. And, and I was like, "Yeah, you guys, uh, you guys, you want prayer? Can we, can we uh, show you the love of Jesus or whatever?" And, and they said, uh, "No, nah, man, we don't want none of that. That's not real. That's fake." And they're just going crazy. And so I, I remember saying to one of them, I said, um, "Well." Um, I I can prove to you that he loves you right where you're standing. And he goes, well, how are you going to do that? I said, well, who's got pain? And one of the kids kind of goes, well, I mean, you know, drumming and stuff. My my wrist is really bad. I think I got carpal tunnel or something, you know. And he's kind of going off about his wrist. And so I I told his unsaved, God-mocking friend to lay hands on his buddy's wrist. And I said, "Um, I want you in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, be healed. Speak to his wrist. And he goes, he goes okay, and he like touches it, and he goes in Jesus' name, be healed, and the kid's wrist gets completely healed. <laughs> it's completely healed, right? But Jamie, only the righteous can heal the sick. I mean, it's, no, it's not about your righteousness; it's about his righteousness. He can do whatever he wants. It's all about giving him glory. And in this moment, this kid experienced the power of God by mentioning the name of Jesus and the name of Jesus unlocked his heart just as much as the kid that was getting healed because he saw that there was a power that was available in the person of Jesus. And in that moment, God exceeded all the boundary lines and demonstrated himself in a way that should be illegal, but it's not illegal. Paul said to me, all things are, are um, uh, what do you say? All things are um, law." Uh, all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. All things are available. I'll be a slave of nothing. We're not to become a slave of religion, a doctrine, or belief, or ideas, or experience. All things are made available in him and through him for his glory. And so we, we have to be those that have a broader understanding and capacity to believe that God's going to do stuff that are way outside of anything we can imagine. I'm not asking you to shape belief around what I'm saying. Like now let's just go get a bunch of unsafe people to pray for each other. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not saying that what God's doing in Iran is now like the blueprint for every nation in the world. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is get out of your mind, get out of your beliefs, get out of your construct and let's celebrate how God can move anywhere and anything and let's allow him to offend our mind and so that we can actually expand the capacity of our belief and see him move in ways that we never believed were possible. Is that all right? All right, why don't you guys stand with me?